Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Ladies and gentlemen, we have another interesting discussion tonight. We have Dr. Josh and Skyler versus Stuart and Cliff Kinnetley. This is going to be a very interesting discussion. Tonight we're talking about is Christianity rational? The format for tonight is going to be 12-minute opening split by both sides, um, 55-minute dialogue, and 30-minute Q&A from the audience. I am Converse, your host tonight. If you are interested in having a question answered, please shoot it into the old live chat, and I will take it, and we'll hold them till the Q&A section, and I will ask them your question. Super Chats get pushed to the top of the list, so if you'd like to make sure that your question gets answered, you can send in a Super Chat. Um, again, thanks for everybody for being here. We want to make sure that everybody feels welcome, no matter what walk of life you're from. And we hope that you will subscribe if this is your first time here and like the video. So with that being said, we're going to get started with 12-minute openings. Uh, we're going to start with the affirmative from Stuart and Cliff Kinnetley. Uh You guys, the floor is yours. Thank you, Converse. Thank you, Skyler, Josh, for tonight. Another great time with you guys. Appreciate it. Stretching our minds and our hearts more. We, let's see, just... Shameless little promo. TikTok. Uh, my TikTok account, Stuart Connectly. You can check us out there. We It's a lot of kind of just our short picks from college campuses and beyond. And then the YouTube channel where you can watch our full debates is Ask Cliff on YouTube. But tonight, is Christianity rational? Uh, we would start with Jesus Christ is a historical figure. 99.8% of scholars would agree on that one across major college campuses throughout the U.S. Secondly, he claimed to be God. Absolutely, you got the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John alone. And then you have him doing miracles, but that doesn't necessarily mean he absolutely claimed to be God and was God. But it was a small piece of the pie where you have it clearly in the Synoptic Gospels. Then you have other places where angels are being bowed down to, and they're saying, no, no, we're not worthy, we're not God. You have the disciples, like Paul, for example, elsewhere, um, who's not a disciple, who the same kind of thing happened. People are bowing down to him and saying, hey, you're God, right? And he says, no. But every single time people worship Jesus, he says, yes. He takes it and he says, I am God. So clearly there's that piece of Jesus' historical figure. The claim is there. So when we debate Jews, when we debate a lot of people just of other faiths, we have to work through that with them. The third one is, are the Gospels reliable? And if you look at extraneous sources outside of the Bible, plenty of the younger, Tacitus, Josephus, there's 16 of them. Clearly, you have to struggle with, okay, all of these different extraneous external sources are claiming that Jesus Christ absolutely did exist, that he did claim to be God, that he died on the cross. Occasionally, you'll have some that hint at the resurrection. We don't have any direct ones on the resurrection itself. But you have these that you have to wrestle with for starters. 
Then you have the Gospels, four separate sources. Historians would call that pay dirt for an ancient document. And then you have all of Paul's epistles that you have to wrestle with as well, all referring to these Gospels as tremendously reliable, just in terms of the amount of source material that we have. Then you have to deal with the Gospel writers themselves. Did they know their stuff? Well, they talked about roads in terms of going up and down to places like Capernaum, to Nazareth. They understood their directional sense in that kind of way. They also understood gardens, Garden of Gethsemane and others. They also understood towns, 26 towns alone between Matthew and Mark, talking about different historical towns that archaeologically absolutely existed. These guys weren't just you know, total mythical figures or figures, say, in Egypt or Turkey who had no idea what they were talking about. No, they fit their context in a beautiful kind of way. Now, it doesn't mean they couldn't have been making it up. Maybe they were making all of it up. But then oftentimes we also get the heat of, well, we don't even know if it was you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We, we have no idea. Uh, okay, that's that's fine. I, I, most, most who I have heard of, at least secular and Christian scholars, would say that most likely it is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it was the dating that came first, and then the names. Dating first, names second. And there's no real reason why to absolutely outright reject Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then lastly, who in the world would make up this story? Why would you make up this story? Why would you make up the Trinity, for example? I, I mean, come on. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit? How do you even grasp that? There's no other theological concept in any religion that comes even close in terms of the, the complexity of that. Do we think somehow some monks were sitting somewhere and just said, hey, let's just make up this impossible doctrine, and somehow we'll, we'll try and get over a third of the world to, to believe in it? No. That complexity lends some type of credence to, okay, wow, maybe, maybe Jesus did come. Maybe he did make some crazy claims. Maybe the early church did wrestle with this type of doctrine. And boom, there you have something that I think personally makes sense of the world in terms of the world coming from love, not power. And what I mean by that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit throughout time have loved each, each other perfectly in the most beautiful type of community and have given us that ability to love each other relationally in community. We know that's what we long for the most. Even when I'm in a counseling office counseling somebody who's tremendously depressed, I know the number one way to ultimately help them get healthy is to have healthy relationships with other people. You strip God out of the picture or you switch God to a monotheistic type of God where it's just one God. Well, now you have to deal with, again, not, not a relational beginning. Instead, it's one just, you could say pride, because it's just one God dealing with one God. Or you strip God away completely, and it's just Darwinianism or, or macroevolution. But clearly, there is zero God, so we are coming from nothing, and nothing we are going to. And so why not just power? Why not the strong eat the weak? Why not, we're, we're right here near New York City, we see a lot of cutthroat businessmen, for sure, go in and rip people off on a daily basis in order to make a certain amount of money. Why not do that? I mean, it's kind of natural. If there is no God, right? If, if we simply come from darkness and go to darkness, then it's a power grab through evolution. I believe in evolution, by the way. But if that's all there is, isn't it natural within ourselves just to behave that way? Why curb that appetite? Is it just well, so we can somehow get along 
more so and in a healthier way together. I don't, I don't fully see how you can really reconcile that with our experience. And then lastly, resurrection. Resurrection is huge for me. There's more and more studies coming out and, and there will be on all the evidence for the resurrection. One, you got Jesus' empty tomb. Second, Jesus' post-mortem appearances. Three, the short time frame between the actual events and the eyewitness claims themselves. Four, the extraordinary transformation of the apostles and what you see with so many people today who come to know Christ. Next, you have, fifthly, the greatest religious conversion ever through Saul to Paul. Then you have the emergence of the historic Christian church and the power that came through it. Seventhly, you have the emergence of Sunday as a day of worship, Sunday. And then eight, the plentiful early reference to Jesus' resurrection in the Apostle Paul's letters is crucial. Nine, the New Testament accounts of Jesus' resurrection do not resemble later apocryphal stories. Ten, no tomb was ever venerated as the burial place of Jesus. Eleven, a crucified Messiah would have been viewed by all Jewish Christians as cursed by God. A total joke. Again, no one would have made that up. And then twelve, all the alternative naturalistic explanations for the resurrection of Jesus proved to be false. One that I heard by a really smart professor at a Berkeley said, well, yeah, I know all the naturalistic theories are a joke. I, I realize that, but there must have been a twin Jesus walking around somewhere. And that was a serious claim because he had no alternative when it came to the resurrection and, and Jesus having been raised from the dead. How much time do we have left here? So you have about, looks like four or five minutes left. About four and Good, a half right. minutes or so. When people say to me, uh, Christianity is not rational. Usually what they mean is science has disproved Christianity. And I just wish that uh, someone would have thought to tell a large number of MIT professors that science has disproved Christianity. MIT is obviously one of the leading scientific institutions of higher learning in the world. At MIT, there's a nuclear science professor named Ian Hutchinson. He is a committed follower of Christ. There is professor of aeronautics and astronautics, Daniel Hastings. There's electrical engineering professor, Jing Kong. None of these people were raised Christian, but there are more. There's artificial intelligence expert, Rosalind Picard, who invented the field of effective computing. She became a Christian when she was a teenager. There's chemistry professor, Troy Van Voorhis came to Christ when he was a grad student at Berkeley. There's biological and mechanical engineering professor Lyndon Griffith, who became a Christian when she was already an established scientist. Other Christians at MIT include professor of mechanical and ocean engineering, Dick Yu, chemical engineering professor, Chris Love, professor of biological engineering, chemical engineering and biology, Doug Laufenberger, history professor, Ann McCants, and even neuro neuroscientist and former N MIT president, the first female president of MIT, Susan Hockfield. And the list goes on. So I'm afraid it is absolutely irrational to say that Christianity is irrational, non-rational, because science disproves it. No, that's totally false. 
Science does not disprove Christianity in the slightest. In fact, Christianity began in the Christian West, where there's an understanding that there's a rational being who gave us rational minds, and we, by using our rational minds, can unlock the secrets of the universe. Albert Einstein pointed out so accurately how one of the greatest miracles in the universe is that the human mind can understand the order and design, the complexity of the universe. I mean, think about it. If everything's a cosmic accident, why on earth do we human beings have a rational mind that is able to put us in touch with the order and design of the universe? It is far more reasonable to say that behind this complexity of the rational mind, there is a rational being than it is rational to say behind the rational mind is the irrational or the non-rational. So the argument that Christianity is not rational is a, a tragic, tragic mistake. Thank you for that, uh, uh, Cliff and Stuart. Uh, we're going to kick it over to the uh, negative on the proposition. But first, let me just say thanks, everyone, for being here again. Uh, we hope that you're enjoying this discussion. If it's your first time, please hit the subscribe button, share, or like the video. And uh, I'm being flexible on the times because the, the debaters are fine with that. So um, if you guys you know, need to take an extra 30 seconds or a minute or something, feel free. Uh, let's kick it over to you guys. Hey, hey everybody. Uh, thank you, you know, once again for having us on the show and Converse uh, you know, moderating and Stu, Cliff, you know, I love you guys. Uh, <clears throat> here's how we're going to start. Right. When we're talking about is Christianity rational, right? I think it's important that we talk about what is the biblical narrative of Christianity. Like, what is it that Christianity believes and is it rational? So, I mean, let's start at the very beginning. Let's start at the Garden of Eden, right? We have God creating Adam and then Eve, you know, uh, but they're his children. They're his beloved children. He loves them. He cares about them, right? But within a couple of pages, we already have them doing something irrational, which is leaving them with a serpent that doesn't have their best interest at heart. Right? As any parent out there, we, would, we wouldn't leave our children with someone you didn't trust uh, in, in, the, in the particular way that Christianity is formed or the belief in Christianity. They believe that God knows what's going to happen. So it only adds to the problem. So not only does God know if he allows this serpent, and there's debate on who this is, Satan or some other type of being, uh, you know, even he knows allowing the serpent is going to allow for his beloved creatures to fall, right? And, and then, of course, you know, I think something that's important that I think we could all agree on, right? So, like, I think during this great debate, I'll just grant objective morality exists. Right, we'd have to argue that it's objectively moral for parents to take care of their children. Right, there's no excuse to why God would, in any rational way, leave his children with someone who didn't have their best interest at heart. But that's just the beginning, right? But then we leave, you know, we have the idea of him, he left a tree that if they eat from, they'll live forever, and if they another tree, if they eat from, you know, it's the knowledge of good and evil, they'll have that knowledge. Right now, he didn't want them to eat from the tree. He knew they were going to eat from the tree because the serpent would trick them. But did it anyways. Still not rational, right? But from this is this is where we get original sin, 
This is the idea of why we need Jesus, right? Because we're fallen. We're a fallen creation. Adam and Eve have this type of thing called feral headship, where they are our representation of mankind. And because of two people's actions, all are punished and need salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, let's think about the rationality of that. Like, I mean, listen, I don't want to tell God to Thanos it, but, like, that's what he could do if he wanted to to atone for sin, right? The repercussions that happened to Adam and Eve were created by God. He set up the scenario. He knew that they would fail, and even if he didn't know they would fail, like, let's, even, let's just say that he, maybe he didn't know, but he knew what would happen if they did fail because he created the reality in which they lived and what the reality in which the descendants of those people uh, would exist. So, but we don't stop there. I think it's important we keep reading, right? Uh, so we have a problem with original sin. Oh, and don't forget, like, it gets so bad we flood the world, right? It gets so bad that God floods the world, including all the babies and the children, right? This is, this is an all-loving God, a God who loves his creation, wants to have, as, as Stuart put earlier, a relationship with his creation. Uh, but does things, his, he, he harms his children. It is immoral to harm your children in these ways. It is immoral to drown babies, objectively, we'll say. Um, so God is committing immoral actions, yet is supposed to be the standard of morality, the one we look up to. Uh, so, you know, that's not rational. So, you know, we have all the people die. Okay, later on, we have Abraham come around. Right. And this is where it kind of gets fun because some like interesting things happen with Abraham. We have circumcision come about. Right. All of a sudden, God's like male genital mutilation in order for us to have a covenant together to show our covenant. Right. But not just you, your slaves. Your slaves also have to have the foreskin uh, removed uh, from them. Now, it's just, you know, to me, I don't know about you. Once again, father, relationship, children. Uh, I'm not going to make my kids show some type of covenant with me by having them mutilate their flesh, right, and harm them. So I, I think this is, is this rational, the Christian God so far? No. This Christian God is doing, constantly doing irrational things. Let's keep going. Oh, man, hopefully I get to all this. Uh, <laughs> let's say Abraham was supposed to be the most righteous man. He's blessing uh, he was, you know, Abraham got blessed with lands that he would later have to have, well, through the Joshua conquest, would take and commit genocide to get the lands he's promised, that the Israelites were promised, Abraham's descendants were promised, right? So it's like God makes a promise to Abraham, says, hey, your descendants will be as, you know, as like the stars, and you'll have these lands. Well, you know, in order for them to have the lands, guess what happens? You know, like I said, God has to tell the Israelites, go take them. And those people are, those cities are full of people, children that are executed on the orders of God in the biblical narrative. Oh, and of course, then like we get past, all right, Abraham dies. You know, he, Abraham, the righteous person, leaves all of his concubines to his children. He had lots of concubines. It was a big list of them, right? He leaves those to his children, that righteous man. 
that was God favored, um, which doesn't make any sense and is uh, not rational. Uh, but anyways, we get to Exodus Leviticus. All right, now we get now we get rules and laws that God gives to Moses to give to his people. He's like, you know what, Israelites, this is what I want you to live like, and these laws <laughs> include selling women as property for fathers to get out of debt, selling children into slavery permanently. Uh, executing gay people, uh, executing people who work on the Sabbath, uh, men with crushed testicles couldn't go to church. I mean, there was all types of rules God made for you know Moses uh, to give to his people, right? And they had to follow these rules. Now, do these rules make sense? Are they rational, right? Is it rational to execute gay people because they're gay? No, it's not, right? It's not rational that women who are on their period have to go separate and live in a different tent or live further away from the men. That's not rational. So these are all things God. And then, of course, slavery. Don't forget good old-fashioned slavery. You're allowed to have them. There's forms of beating them. There's forms of discipline. You can pass them on to your children, keep them permanently for life, depending on the context of it. How much we got time? Probably getting on two or three minutes. Josh, I'm sorry if I'm eating it all up. You've uh, <laughs> used seven minutes so far. All right, good. We got time then. Letting people own slaves is irrational. Killing gay people is I'm going through my list here. Men with crushed testicles. That's always a fun one. We got to talk about that sometimes. Uh, then, I mean, of course, and then, of course, then we get later on. All right, so we're past this. We're past all the stuff that happened with Egypt, right? We have no historical evidence for the Jews ever being in bondage in Egypt. Right, but they're free now. God's committed miracles. You know, He's had through Moses commit part the Red Sea. They're free, uh, and we move later on, right? But you know, now after they wander the desert for all this time, sorry, I'm thinking of all the things that happened. After we wander the desert, we go on to the lands that need to be conquered, right? And those those lands, Joshua's conquers. And what who's it? What does God say? The Christian God in here. He tells you to go and, and kill little boys, take the women and children's plunder, and you know, basically almost execute everything living. Now, I get it. Jesus is nice. I like I like Jesus, right? Like Sermon on the Mount, Jesus. I I like honestly, I wish people would kind of live their lives in the way that Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount lived and the way he spoke it. I think it's I think it's just a good way to live, right? But gotta look at the whole picture. Like, why is he? Why? Why is Father Jesus? I mean, Son Jesus here in the first place? Why did Father God do all the all the things in the Old Testament? Why did He set Adam and Eve up to fail? Well, it's not rational. Like, why? Why? Why would He go and make Himself? I mean, we get to the Trinity. That's a whole paradox. But why would He make it to where He had to have a blood sacrifice? His own blood. I mean, he started with animals in the Old Testament, which really wasn't rational either. It doesn't make sense how killing an innocent animal, you know, will make somebody some some kind of sin atoned or something like that. I mean, I mean, it sucks for the animal at least, which is another problem with like if you think about the rationality of Christianity, right? What about the problem of animal suffering? Does my dog not go to heaven? I was told when I was a child. That all dogs go to heaven, right? And I, I'm these days, I have people tell me they're soulless, emotionless, 
creatures. So anyways, the last thing I'll say, and Justin, you can, if you have anything you want to add to it. Uh, in the same way, Chewbacca living on Endor with a bunch of Wookiees makes no sense. Jesus having to die for our sins makes no sense with a powerful God who could literally Thanos our sins away. All right, that's it. That's all I got. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I guess I don't have much to say, and I probably don't have much time to say it. Um, I think some of the things so that sorry. I, no, 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 it's, you guys got about two and a half fine. minutes, but you can okay. take a few extra seconds. No, no, it's fine. I mean, I, I think when I think about this topic, um, again, you know, my, my wife is a Christian. Um, so, I mean, I think there are different ways to define rationality and I'm not a philosopher and I don't study epistemology. So, I, you know, I'm certainly not like in, in many ways, I'm out of my depth or out of my field of expertise here in this discussion. But, um, you know, I, I think about things, <clears throat> you know, when I got my THM, you know, we spent a lot of time wrestling with things like the Trinity, things like the hypostatic union of Christ, uh, looking at the tension between transcendence and eminence. And these are things that the reason that we spend so much time on them is because they're theological constructions that you come to a, a set of texts that are, you know, set aside as holy, um, you know, most evangelical circles would say that they're inerrant in one way or another. Um, and so you have to then grapple with, well, this text says God is transcendent and completely outside of his creation and above it. But then this other text says that he's eminent and he's working in it. And this text says that God is, or Jesus is God. But then this other text, you know, certainly says that he's man. Um, you know, you've got, Jesus saying he's God, the Holy Spirit is God, God the Father is God. Do we have three different gods? No, that's heresy. So, <clears throat> you know, theology is that act of making the trying to make the pieces fit, right? And any, you know, I was reading through like Millard Erickson today. Um, it's been a while. And uh, you know, just just reading back through the section on the Trinity. And in the end, Erickson, you know, says what Thiessen, I think, would probably say and what you know, Hodge would probably say, yeah, it's been years since I've read them. But, you know, in the end, most people that deal with the Trinity, this is this is an Isaiah 55 moment, right? This is God's ways are higher than our ways. And when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll fully understand, we'll fully comprehend. Right now, how we have, you know, three distinct persons, but one essence. How do we, how, do we, how does that work? Uh, we've got analogies, but they're imperfect. And I think that that's a, in the end, it's what I think I wrestle with uh, when I think back on Christianity and the rationality of it, because we, I would have called them apparent contradictions. But I feel like in a lot of ways, that's that it just ends up being a type of special pleading because they sure do seem like contradictions. Um, and you have to then appeal, like I did, you have to appeal to some knowledge that we just can't attain because of our human state and God's 
you know, transcendent state. So anyway, those are the things that I guess I wrestle with in this context. All right. Thanks so much for that opening. We are going to kick it into open discussion now. I just want to say, um, I, if you have a question for the Q&A you want to ask, tag me and not Modern Day Debate. Uh, that's Converse Contender. Uh, you should be able to see my name here. And uh, just tag me in the chat, and I'll be watching for those. Also, if you just joined us, we're talking about, is Christianity rational? Um, so we will be... Um, We'll be kicking it over to the open discussion, followed by the Q&A. Uh, you guys, uh, you have the floor. I like where Skylar started with the theology and the narrative arc of Scripture. You know, oftentimes, atheists on the show will start off saying, well, extraordinary claims, you know, you know extraordinary evidence. I always think of, okay, well, it's pretty extraordinary to say consciousness came from unconsciousness, that something came from nothing, on and on down the line. I think that's pretty extraordinary. I also appreciate, though, how I think both of you are, are clearly saying, you know, what oftentimes when I come on these debates, someone will say something like, well, it's equivalent of the Loch Ness Monster, you know? You've heard people, anecdotal evidence, and that's about it. Well, no. It, what you have in Genesis and the character of the world, the character of the cosmos, is a God outside. The Loch Ness Monster is not outside of the world, and he has not created a type of narrative structure that makes sense of things like suffering, value, why we are here, where are we going, on and on down the line. So vastly different comparison. Although I understand the whole piece of like, yeah, your five senses can't exactly you know, touch, smell, see God. I get that piece. So if you want to compare that to the Loch Ness Monster, totally get it. So I like that you guys didn't really start there, but instead that you went the theological approach. I would disagree with you, Skylar, even though, again, I like that you went here with the serpent. I was just in the city at the Beacon listening to Jordan Peterson. Seems like a fascinating guy. And he would disagree with you strongly on what you just said about the serpent. He would say, the serpent is you if you're not allowing your kids to fail. Let me say that one more time. The serpent is you. You are evil, Skylar. If you are not allowing your kids to fail, to have free will, you are the helicopter parent who is the reason why your child has asthma, is the reason why your children are going to have depression and anxiety at the fragile age of five, six, and seven. You're the reason why your kids are going to be triggered by any single type of word that they might disagree with. And so you're the serpent. I Again, I understand your perspective. I understand Jordan Peterson's perspective on that. I would lean towards Peterson on this one because I think it makes a lot of sense where absolutely this, the serpent is allowed in the garden. He clearly gives. I, I love the connection because this is backed up by all psychological studies. He gives free will to Adam and Eve. And at the same time, he gives parameters. If you want to grow your child up with tremendous peace and security, you will do both. You will not take the modern day parenting approach of just, hey, no parameters whatsoever. You know, I don't want to disagree with my, literally I had a woman say this to me. I don't want to disagree with my eight-year-old child because it'll stunt their cognitive growth. So I let them say whatever they want, never say no to them. Okay, every study will show, starting with Jonathan Haidt, that that creates debilitating anxiety within a child. You need parameters. But then at the same time, you're not going to indoctrinate your child. 
You're not going to brainwash a child and say, you have to come to church. You have to believe in God. You have to believe X, Y, and Z. No. Instead, you're going to give them free will to allow them to ultimately say, I'm going to decide this or that to believe in. So I think the problem here is like, okay, well, then you've given up uh, if, if we do, but whatever it be, something that's not, we can go with your particular idea here and, and what's his name's idea, uh, Jordan Peterson. But now you've given, now you have no sin problem in the Bible for us to be, to be saved by. If, the, if it's not historical narrative, if you're not reading Genesis historical narrative, when did human beings fall and what exactly is, is Jesus needing to die on the cross for? Why did Jesus die on the cross? It's a good well, well, we, well, the thing is, well, the thing is, it's it's because he you know, was originally atoned for the fall of man, for man's kind sin. Someone had to atone for that. Like in the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice animals, but in the New Testament, he atoned. He came into the flesh to die uh, for those uh, in, in that situation. So, like, what I'm trying to understand is, like, what is? Why did he have to come and die? Where was there a sin problem? Yeah, but that's your point. That's like your fifth point down here. I just want to stay in the garden because you made a lot of interesting insights into the garden. Yeah, but that's that. That's the whole point of the garden is is if you sure. don't look at it as historical narrative, right? Then where do you have a sin problem? Where do you the have a sin problem? Of, yeah, yeah. Where did yeah, sin do you do you believe in original sin exactly. that came from Adam and Eve? Is I think what Skyler's saying. Oh, and, and whether ultimately is Adam one man or, or try? Like, are we going? Well, okay, sin has to be in the world in order for there to be a reason for Jesus to die on the cross, right? He died on the cross for a reason. It was because sin had to be because sin had come to the world, right? He wouldn't have had to die on the cross if Adam and Eve in that story hadn't have disobeyed God under the Christian narrative. Mm -hmm. So if you're not saying that it's historical narrative— because you're saying it's this other thing, some kind of metaphor or something. The snake, the serpent is a metaphor. Well, then where did sin come into the world? Why is there all of a sudden a sinful nature that need that we need Jesus to cleanse with his blood? No, it was both. The, the serpent could have existed. It could have been a real serpent. I'm okay with it. It wasn't an actual serpent. Adam and well, Eve sinned. Well, what you Adam guys believe? You guys are in the business representatives of representatives of who we are, and so it sets us up in a way where we were going to do the same thing no matter what. Well, we should go with what you guys preach. You guys do question people on college campuses and what you guys believe in your church under Christianity. So, as a Christian, what do you believe about that story? Is it historical narrative? Was it one person? Or and yeah, please, Josh. Yeah, and, and and maybe. And and or like what is it that uh, perhaps mainstream Orthodox Christianity would teach? I think it's like real if, clear that the Bible and Orthodox Christianity teach that God created Adam and Eve with a free will. God has given all of us a free will, and sin is abusing the gift of free will in order to choose to do that which is unjust, unloving, rebelling against God violating the purpose for which God created us, choosing to kick God out of my life because I have a free will, and choosing to live my life autonomously as a separate being. And that's why I think I know what the theme song of hell will be. I did it my way. So that's the heart of sin. And yes, Adam and Eve committed that. I've committed that. We all have committed that in different ways. 
I will be in control. I will run the show. I will be the center of the universe. And God is irrelevant. And yes, you're absolutely right. That Christ died on a cross to pay the just penalty for our flipping God off, for our rebellion against God, for our being control freaks. And let's look at all of our relationships. I think they all are scarred by someone trying to exert control or to manipulate, to use the other person instead of to love the other person. Well, he, he set us up in the garden to fail in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, please, Josh. Sorry, I mean, like, so, Stuart, obviously, I'm going to disagree very strongly with Jordan Peterson, but um, in this particular, particularly in this uh, instance, but like, I think drawing an analogy to, uh, you know, not, you know, not correcting your kid, maybe when they uh, are using, um, you know, uh, curse words, right, uh, at an inappropriate age because it might get them in trouble in social contexts. Uh, I think it's very different uh, from what we're seeing here, depending on, you know, it seems like how you guys are viewing the, the garden story. Um, here, you have a catastrophic event, right? This, it, like, seems analogous more to um, you leave your your baby uh in the you know in the the crib or your toddler in the crib with a loaded weapon right or with a a box of knives and 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 you say all right now don't don't touch these you have a you have two people that have no life experience whatsoever right i mean again if we're reading the narrative that way um and you're, you're not only leaving them there in that crib but now you're you you have somebody coming in pushing the knives toward them right here, hold this knife. Um, so I, and, and this is irreparable harm, right? It's, it's harm. That's, 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 and, and even that analogy isn't great because it's just catastrophic to the child. Somehow that is going to affect all humanity to come. I mean, it's, mm. I, I don't think it's analogous to, 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 you know, something like cursing or, you know, letting your child say whatever you want. Um, and something that catastrophic, Skylar, is that what you were? No, no, I, I think that's perfectly articulated. It, it just you you wouldn't create if you like I said that they're your children. You protect them from harm. You don't set them up to fail. And then look, this the idea that you would punish it, it is a punishment to all the rest of mankind because of these two people, their two actions, not the actions of other people, but two people's actions. Now we have diseases in the world. Uh, we have suffering, we have, you know, as the things are just, men had to work the field, women had birthing pains afterwards, they had to leave the Garden of Eden. Yeah, I, I think I think you may, that's, I think that's a, the way to put it, Dr. Josh. Let's say you, Stuart. No, that, all that makes pretty good sense to me. I, I, I would disagree still, though. I, I don't see the same thing as me going to put a stick of dynamite in my my younger girl's crib right now to what God did right there in the Garden of Eden. I, I, I don't see that even close. Well, Stu, let me ask you this, right? Like, like, say you knew, because you're God, right, that if you left your, your little girls over at a neighbor's house, something bad would happen to them, right? You knew, because you're God, hey, if I, I know that if I leave my, my kids over at this house, something bad will happen to them. 
Will you leave them over? Especially now, think like you said, think about the consequences Josh just talked about. Think about the consequences I just talked about. We're not talking about just something bad happens to these people. We're talking about what people base the whole problem of evil and the problem of suffering on when they argue against theists and Christians. Like there's just no good okay, rational reason you would yeah. like I mean no, I, I, I of course when you go further it's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. No. Granted, I totally struggle with that as well. But again, so here's where I come at it from. Again, I still, as a Christian, as an Orthodox evangelical, I have to allow God to be God. His thoughts, yes, are way above mine. That's why, Josh, I would disagree with you. When you get the words like foolishness, when you get the words like mystery with Paul so many times in his epistles, I, I agree. I don't think that should be a way of getting out from underneath answering tough questions. Fully agree. And yet at the same time, if you're going to allow the God, the size of the God that, that we are granting, then you have to have the humility to say, we're not going to understand a lot. And so I start with that, with the, with the question, but then I also go to, hey, look, what, what is so wrong? What is the alternative that you want then? Just perfect relationship with humanity inside the Trinity since the very beginning, us having that same level of power? See, see the alternatives where I'm trying to figure no out. Child I don't have a problem start. ultimately. I don't have a problem ultimately with him setting up this tree and the knowledge of good and evil, him saying you have to be reliant and dependent on me. And if you're not, then you're going to be driven out of the garden. And we clearly get grace from the very beginning because he said originally, you will die. They did not die. Eventually they would die, but automatically you have forgiveness. So this God who supposedly is throwing all kinds of knives and weapons into the crib at the same time offers forgiveness and love immediately after. And it's this called, is the God of the universe. But come on, Stuart. It's called these things that, like, it's called brain tumors, right? Like, it's called, you know, people getting their children abducted and never seeing them again, right? It's child soldiers in Africa. Like, we're to say these things like, oh, well, you know, mistakes were made and, you know, you have to live with repercussions. Well, God, you created these repercussions. You would, you, I mean, the fact he would let it, it's not rational that a loving God would let it get this out of control, right? I mean, he literally got his people out of Egypt, but like was kind of slow on the Holocaust, right? So, I mean, let's think about like rationally the stories being told here. And then let's think about reality that every terrible little thing that ever happens to anybody, God sat back and watched and did nothing to okay, stop so, it. So if there's no divine judge, what's yeah. your, Skylar, what's your intellectual defense against the naturalness of violence and suffering? Like Friedrich Nietzsche talked about. What's your intellectual well, defense? Why do, I, why do I think there's pain and suffering in the world? If there is no divine judge. Yeah. Why is there no why is there no intellectual defense against the naturalness of violence, evil, and suffering from the atheist point of view? That's Friedrich Nietzsche. That's not me. No, no, I don't understand what you're actually like, what are you asking me to give you? You always go here with God has just let things spun out of control so badly. Sure. And suffering and all this entropy, and it's just a poop show now. Yeah. Come on, God. Well, Friedrich okay. Nietzsche, if he was me sitting right here, again, this is not me, he would say, okay, fine, remove God. There is no divine judge. There is no intellectual defense against the naturalness of this suffering and violence. Yeah. It is natural. Sure. Why do you disagree with him? Like, why is it just, why is there, it's like you're asking, why is there naturally no, no, no. bad no, things? No, 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 this is a simple question. This is a very simple question. It's not like I'm asking. This was Friedrich Nietzsche asking. No, but me. I think you're the question, I don't quite understand what you're specifically asking me. There's a divine right. judge. You brought up early on, 
that okay. we're going to grant you moral absolutes, which I don't understand from an atheist. No, I didn't say moral absolutes. Well, no, no, no. I didn't say moral said absolutes. Absolute I said, uh, no, objective, objective morals. morals. It's objective different. Morals. They're two different things, though. A divine judge. So you have objective morality. There's no divine judge in objective morality. What is right or wrong, and that there will be a judgment day at the end of time where wrongs will be righted. That's your claim. Correct? That's what you're so claiming. That's the omniscient God. That's the judge. That You're, gives okay. us an understanding of what is right and wrong. Yes, that's the Christian position. Is bad, but well, does, you remove well, him. No, now, no, no. He, hold on, hold on. Now Stu. He doesn't tell you why. Stu, you asked me. You asked me. I'm finishing this point. Uh, okay. There is no intellectual <laughs> defense defense against the naturalness of violence, suffering, and evil. C.S. Lewis. I don't know what up. that means. Natural violence. Pick this up. Pilgrim at Tinker. Explain it. I, mean, I could talk about it. I mean, so many people have picked up this argument. Sure, sure but like, just explain it, and I could talk to you about it. Talk it, yeah. Talk it out. Well, no, I'm just saying. No, you Stu, so, sorry, Stu. What he's saying is, saying that scholar A or scholar B, you know, articulated it clearly. He's saying the way you're articulating it is unclear to him. Yes. So you have to articulate it more clearly, what you're actually asking. I want to engage in it, but, I, I need oh. it, yeah, but I, I'm honestly not understanding the way you're phrasing it here. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. If there is no such thing as a divine judge. Gotcha. No, no divine judge. No God, right. Then there's no intellectual defense against the naturalness, just natural, of suffering, violence, evil. There's nothing to defend. It's just the way it is. Okay, so, so it's just the way of the world. What he's saying is, what exactly? It's natural. It's natural. Why why violence, it yeah, me? absolutely. Violence why is, na is it natural. It's some in some aspects. Yeah. And why is God in the dock? In this scenario, well, God, said, why aren't you in the dock for this bugging you so much? Because it's oh, oh, gotcha. natural. This gotcha. is Nietzsche's point. Got you. Well, here, here I, now I understand you. The the difference in those two scenarios is one is it's just natural and there's nothing I can do about it, right? And the other scenario, the one that I'm arguing why it's irrational tonight, in the one that you're claiming is rational, God created brain tumors for children. He created a world where it was possible for child soldiers and for kids to get kidnapped. Right. He created all this. He created all these negative aspects to it. Right. And like so. And, but but he but of, he loves us and he cares about us and wants a relationship with us. But every step of the way does the opposite of what it would take to have a relationship with somebody. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm making a point of it. I just have to deal it up. You secrets out, Josh. I'm not an atheist anymore. I'm actually, I consider myself a pantheist. He's an atheist, right? So I kind of believe in God. I just don't believe in God to tell you to kill children. That's it. Seems rational to me. This God might loves be a children. good time to get uh, Cliff and Dr. Josh in the conversation Please. as well. You guys want to contribute here? Better sit up in that Go chair. Go ahead, Josh. Bit, you're going to fall asleep. Oh, I... I... <laughs> No, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> Floor, you got no, I, I don't think I have uh, a great deal. I mean, okay, I will say this. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me maybe the most here over the past, like, 10 minutes, um, and I get it. Again, I, I think it's where, you, it's where all of these discussions have to end up, um, is we just have to say, 
if we're going to say that the Christian worldview and the Orthodox Christian worldview um, or the evangelical Christian worldview is coherent and correct, then we have to ultimately come back and say, there are just going to be things, maybe lots of things that we have to say, we're not God. So we, we can't really, we have to, we have to assume that God had morally sufficient reasons to do X. We have to assume that God has a morally sufficient reason, um, you know, to to kill the Amalekite children in First Samuel fifty. There has to be some moral reason that He did that, um, and we have to assume that things like the Trinity and the hypostatic union of Christ and eminence and transcendence—they all—they're not contradictions. Now we can't—we can't really get to them here. Uh, but God's ways are, are higher than our ways. And Stu, like you, you said that it sounded like you said you start with that. Like that's a, that's sort of in the background as you move forward. And I get it. I mean, like I get it. Right. I think that's, I don't want to start there. I definitely don't want to start there, but yeah, like according yeah, to the mean, faith, you have to start there. Yeah. I mean, cause if you don't, this, this, I think this is sort of my point. If you don't, it's very easy to then argue for the coherency of the worship of Asher. Right, because for example, with divine violence, Asher makes very similar claims. Right, or you can you know read through the Moabite stone and see that Chemosh is you know uh, telling the the you know, Moab to go and to um, strike Israel, and and you you could make those claims. But what you end up having to do, and th this is something that I I wrote about this. I just finished volume two of the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. And one of the chapters is on divine violence and genocide. And, you know, when you think about the figure of Samson, you know, Samson, what Samson did to the Philistines at the end of his life in Judges 16, you take out his name and the Philistines and you plug it in to anyone today. And we would say, oh my, he's a terrorist. I mean, he's like, he's like the world's first suicide bomber, right? But we don't look at Christians, I didn't, evangelicals, we don't look at Samson that way because the way the text frames him is he's working for and Yahweh is working through him. Um, and so we don't frame it as a suicide act that kills civilians. Uh, no, it's God striking one last blow at the Philistines before he dies. And I think that's because there's a there's there's just a very strong aspect. There has to be a strong aspect of special pleading. Because you have to start with my system is the right one. However, you get there, whether you base it on the resurrection or uh, my system's the right one. And so I have to view all of these things that are inconsistent and incoherent, seemingly apparent contradictions through that lens. And it, if, if you take this from a philosophical standpoint, by you saying that, it's a very relativistic way of stating that whoever you, you're hearing that from is saying the same kind of thing. By saying, they are choosing a certain lens to say this is the right way. But by me saying that they're choosing a certain type of lens to say this is the right way, and obviously it's way too narrow, I'm seemingly more tolerant 
and broad, but that's just as narrow. That's what I get from, because you made this point our last debate, and I was trying to hang with you on this one for a while, but, <laughs> and I understood where you were coming from, but there's still the other side, there's the conservative and, and the liberal theologians and scholars on this one, right? What, what in particular? Sorry. I'm sorry. What, what in particular? No, no. Uh, All right. Sorry. It's, it's, go ahead. Sorry. It's very simple for me. It is total arrogance for me to say that I understand God totally. In the same way, it is total arrogance for any biologist, I don't care how many postdoctorates they have, to say, I understand biology totally. It's totally arrogant for me to say, I understand God totally. And it's totally arrogant for a chemistry professor to say, I understand all of chemistry. At best, all of us have partial knowledge. None of us have total knowledge on any topic. I don't totally understand myself. Never mind, I don't totally understand Stuart. Never mind, I don't totally understand God. That is not a cop-out. That is a very brutally humble and honest appraisal of reality. And if anybody is going to be so arrogant as to claim well, because the Bible doesn't answer this question, therefore the Bible is fallacious. It's just as arrogant as for me to say to a chemistry postdoc student, if you don't can't under, can't explain this chemistry question to me, then you don't really understand chemistry. That is so intellectually dishonest, it is scary. We all have a partial knowledge of different areas of study, of education. So I am a little bit shocked by the naivete of people who say, because I don't understand and can't explain exactly why God does something, therefore God doesn't exist. That is so narrow-minded. That, yeah. that is so narrow-minded. That is such a denial of the limits of human reason and logic. It's scary. Albert Einstein said, I know less than 1% of all there is to know. That is an appropriate humility and appropriate realism. And for anybody to think that they're going to understand why God does certain things or why God judges the way God judges or why God loves the way he loves is ridiculous. I just know that if I love someone, I'm going to be angry if that someone is hurt by somebody else. If someone hurts Stuart and I say, hey, I'm going to go to Starbucks, then let's be real honest. I don't love Stuart. And so this outrageous idea that because God is love, he cannot get angry. And because God is love, he can't judge. I mean, that is so naive. It's so irrational. It's scary. Nothing in your experience. I can promise you, Josh, if someone murdered your wife and you were not angry about that, and you were not pleading for justice, then you don't love your wife, sir. Well, God does that. I mean, God literally God has people. Hold on, hold on. I'd like to respond. Uh, I'd like, I'd like to respond real quick. More than enough. Wait, can, I, can, I, can I respond, it's totally please? Ridiculous. Hold on. Now, come on. No, 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 no Cliff. Cliff, God we're not going off the cliff, Cliff. You guys, one second. We're not hey, doing that. Else, second, that's no, not a possible righteous anger. That's ridiculous. It's my turn. That is, Cliff. that is very, very sad. We'll give you, we'll give you thirty Straight seconds to wrap up, and then we'll go to Skyler. Thirty seconds to wrap up here, Cliff. Oh, wrap up. Thirty seconds. Are you done? 30 seconds to wrap up? Yeah, yeah this this point. Up. This point, yeah. If you want to wrap up your we'll point. We'll on that. Or we can kick it over to Skyler. There is more than enough evidence 
based on the lifestyle, the teachings, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is reliable. There's more than enough evidence for any thinking rational person to realize that Jesus is so superior to any of the options. It is scary. I don't care if it's hedonism. I don't care if it's narcissism. I don't care if it's capitalism, uh, rationalism, scientism. I mean, those are all wonderful areas of thinking, but Jesus Christ is so much more reliable than any of those options. It's it's embarrassing. All right, let's kick it over to the other side. Yeah, so, I mean, what, what I find ironic, right, is we, we make an emotional appeal to, like, well, what if someone killed your wife, Dr. Josh, right? You'd be angry. Well, what about God, right, who goes and kills lots of people's wives, Lots of people's children. Not only does it, and doesn't do it in a kind or gentle way. Doesn't just say, hey, lights out, folks, you're all dead. No, no, no. He makes Israelite soldiers go in and execute babies, children, right? So, like, it, it just so, like, to hear, like, this moralizing. We're like, oh, well, you just, we just don't know why. We don't know why God commits genocide. You know, that's just a mystery. It's the mystery of why God commits genocide. It's the mystery of why God has... Children mutilate their genitalia, right? Why Why God has slaves. God tells people they can have slaves, right? Like, I, I, it's the same thing over and over. It's just a mystery. And then, like, you guys are the bad guys for bringing it up. Like, how dare you want to know why God treated women as property and told men to take them as plunder with children in wartime? Like, and then you guys are like, you guys are the wild ones. You guys are the ones with no morality, right? We all know when we look at these situations that they're immoral actions that God is telling human beings to commit. Taking women, children, and plunder is immoral. Telling people that they can own human beings as property is immoral, right? So I, I just think that the hypocrisy here needs to stop. And what's going on here? And like, if you're going to deal with why it's moral for God to tell people, they can execute little children, take the, the women as plunder, then defend it. Or just say it's God's mysterious ways and he has a greater reason for it. All right, you, you guys, before we uh, kick it over, back over, um, if you have any questions, we're going to be wrapping up here in the next 15 minutes or so with this segment, and we will be going to Q&A. So if you do have a question, shoot it into the live chat, tag me. My name's right there on the screen. And so, uh, and then I will get to your question hopefully in the Q and A. All right, let's. Uh, you guys get the floor. Skyler, thank God more Christians don't read their Bibles or listen to God, because man, we would have a lot of bloodshed on our hands. So thank God that they're not reading their Old Testament. Thank see God. The, see the past. Who is known? Who is known to be supposedly the most compassionate? Supposedly they were the ones who introduced forgiveness based off of the cross. Supposedly they were the ones, first ones who were actually bringing women and children into a tight-knit community. Supposedly they were the first ones of bringing different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds of people into the community. Supposedly they're the ones setting up the hospitals, not just like the Stoics and others who are setting up hospitals mainly for as military campaigns for their military soldiers coming in, healing them, and then getting them back out of the war path, but instead bringing in people of all ethnic groups. Thank God there were let's just say more than a couple Christians who when the plague spread in 100 to 300 AD, you had Christians from the outside coming in, giving up their lives in the inner cities to bring people to the outside, hopefully to be able to convalesce. And by doing so, 
again, losing their lives based off of a suffering servant, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for their sins. Why are Christians better than Yahweh, Stu? I love that you keep going to holy war, and I agree. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, let's pretend like let's pretend like God didn't order those very difficult commands at times. Absolutely, there's, you know, with the Amalekites, there's 400 years he gave a very atrocious evil people group to repent, and they didn't want to change, so he judged them. Ultimately, that, uh, again, that squares with me. This debate is on rationality. Rationality, the term itself, comes from the Enlightenment. You guys, I'm glad Dr. Josh brought up the term. The Enlightenment brought up through Hume and others, basically, this tendency of thought, philosophical thought, to say, I am ultimately the judge of all things. Look, I'm not saying that I'm more humble than you, by the way. You guys are probably more humble than me, so don't get me wrong on this, where, where I'm going. But basically, rationality, Hume, the Enlightenment, brought up this type of thinking which said, I should be able to look into the Bible like a Mark Twain and say, God, you better explain every single little jot and tittle to me, or I don't believe in you, or I think you are a horrible dictator. I was just meeting with an African guy today, super sharp intellectual. He was talking to me, we were talking about cultures and how our little culture here in the West is the only one that pushes this subject Skylar's pushing right now. Every single other culture, this is not an issue. It's if God is the God who comes up with moral objectivity and absolutes, right and wrong, if he is way bigger than we could ever imagine creating this cosmos, he is allowed to judge at certain times in ways that we don't fully understand. But then thank God that he gave us Jesus Christ to start a new covenant where we can start to grasp that. And that's where secular humanism came from out of Judeo-Christian cross understanding of things. That's not, you know, a lot of that. When you talk about like what Jesus came for and, uh, you know, like these, Never mind. I know we probably want to go to the next segment. We can keep going. Let's no, Josh give no, no, you, you guys go ahead and. Um, Do we have a couple more minutes yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, we still have a few. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, listen. Yeah, so I think one of the things, again, to sort of circle back to it, because, again, I, I think that bringing up how a people group or groups of people interpreted a text. Um, is distinct from whether that text, uh, you know, what what its what its intent was, or what those passages meant in their own context, right? Because we do this all the time. Uh, like, you know, when when we look at atrocious passages, the reason that they're atrocious to us is because uh, the, the progression that we have morally, like, we don't want to look at women listed as plunder. Right, we don't want to see them listed along with property. We don't want to see slaves being kept for life, and so there's a reason that we we buck against those things. So I don't think I'm not saying that it's useless. I think it's very useful to talk about what a group uh, or groups did with a text uh, or a group of texts, um, but that's an interpretive issue, right? Um, because if you look at the early church, for example, or if you look at what uh, you know Paul did with something like slavery, you're going to get a very different view of this. Um, and I don't think it's one that you would want to follow, and it's certainly not one that I would want to follow. Um, so that that's one thing. The other thing, again, 
it, it, it really does come back to this lens. Like when you said, if this God is the God X, right, that does X and that is higher than all and that is mighty, and of course, right? But if I were to say to you, if Asher is the God or if Marduk is the God that is all powerful and that is all knowing and they can, um, that would also be true, right? That system would also be coherent. It would also be justified that Tiglath-Pileser III went and, and, you know, conquered people and created vassals. But we don't start there. We can't start there. You guys don't start there, right? Um, and that's why I say, I think ultimately in these discussions, it, it sort of ultimately has to come back to a type of special pleading. And I wanted to say, I remember what I was going to say here, is that you, you kind of listed a lot of great things Christians had done. I don't disagree with you. Christians have done amazing things in the world, right? They're more moral than what the Bible describes Yahweh as being, right? And I'm not like, this is what I'm like. I think a lot of times people misinterpret, like I'm trying to make you like make it so like the God you guys worship is some kind of monster. No, no, no. I'm trying to get you guys to understand that like you, you got to sometime at some point give up the ghosts because the biblical narrative is what it is. Right. And the biblical narrative basically says God is more similar to Putin than he is. I, I know there's something more positive in a lot of in, in the Old Testament, at least the Old Testament God. I mean, he bomb, you know, he kills children just like Putin does. Right. Attacks innocent civilians. Right. You're not going to be able to articulate and justify to me that there's some morally good reason you can judge babies and children. So the most humanistic God would be Jesus Christ. Why don't you worship Jesus? Why would I worship anybody? You just said you're a pantheist. Do you worship yourself? Yeah. Like, like, do you create God in your own image? Because that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like there's no moral standard to challenge yourself by if you have no God who calls you a certain standard. What about my moral standard would you like to challenge? kind of pantheism that you're describing here. Well, we're not the the topic of the debate isn't pantheism and why it's rational. The you topic of the debate is why Christianity is rational. I'm kind of a pantheist. Well, I just I'm, I'm, I'm trying to align with you guys and let you know, hey, I'm a fellow God believer at least. You know, I'm trying to connect with you, like, hey, I'm not some evil atheist troll. I'm the outlier here. You're right. Right. Listen, I, like unlike Josh, I don't eat babies, right? So, as all the other atheists, we know that they do. So we, uh, as far as good, but listen, when you, but th this is the, the whole point is I don't want all these, you can get rid of it, get rid of the dogma Bible, right? It's, there's a reason why the scripture sounds like the way people talk back then. And the, and the Israelites are just like everybody else, the other Canaanites, right? There's a reason it would tell you to conquer people like that, because that's just what they did back then. They went in, they took slaves, they conquered civilizations. That was just the time period. But when you connect, the problem is the Bible says that your God said it was okay. And that's where you guys get into the problem. And you either got to say, no, the Bible's not correct in this part and, and just keep going with it. But I you know, I still haven't heard, you know, why I actually need Jesus Christ. Maybe that's a positive way we can end here. Well, why do I need Jesus? And what do I got to do, Stu, to get saved? Well, you haven't spoken why? tonight. I'll just give one illustration. What, what do I need? Bernice How do I need? Webb, who was the head of the British welfare system for 35 years, was an atheist. And she said, look, originally I just thought education would heal the, the evil that we see in our world, the injustice. Then she said, I thought it was going to be technology. 
Then upon retirement, she said, no amount of education, technology, or science is going to be able to change the human heart, which is always so hell-bent on evil and injustice. In order to change a broken system, whether it be a governmental system, whether it be a family system, whatever the system might be, you need to deal with human hearts. And that's why Solzhenitsyn said, the line through good and evil goes through every single human heart, starting with me. That's why Martin Luther King Jr. said the same thing. And you need some type of saving from the outside. That's why AA picks it up. That's why a beautiful illustration, like this guy with dreadlocks, true story, comes in and there's this arrogant guy saying, oh, I don't really need saving. Like, I'm gonna get over my addiction to alcohol by myself. And this dreadlock guy walks out and says, well, I've actually started to get over mine because I've achieved low self-esteem. And what he meant by that was understanding that I need saving, something greater from the outside to come in and save me. Now, Skylar, you might say, yes, AA, I could not disagree with that because AA has a phenomenal success rate. Well, I'm not an alcoholic, though. Well, that's the difference between you and me. I think that every single human being, whether it's word, thought, action, it sins, or if you don't like the word sin, fine. You're born broken, right? Up, you're, you're born, born broken, broken right? whatever it might be. And why are you born broken, Stu? How that's are you my going point. to change? No, that's not the question. But no, that's but that is the question. Why are, why are you born broken? Why do we need saving? No, no, no. You're still you no, no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Ir right irrational, right? Why you? I'm going to tie it all together point. now. I could tie it all together point, now. All these other points are completely mute. They're stupid. I'm going to talk without about the cross. I can tie it now. Without any it. type of moral objectivity, with your secular humanism that's very uh, comfortable in a very lost. comfortable, cush, suburban <laughs> environment here in the West that is just not sustainable at a level where you can say, wow, I'm in a war-torn country, and there really is evil going on. You are. What are you going on to? Hey, all right, you guys. What we, I want to do is um, let's give Cliff a chance to say um, one final thing, well, and then I want Skyler and Josh to, to wrap up because uh, you guys started this uh, segment. So, um, Cliff, you say one you know, whatever your your final thing is on this, and then I'll let them have the last word on this. Can thing. I get like twenty seconds, just twenty yeah, seconds to talk no, about like can't. this no, this sin, this sin thing, right? So we we talk. Okay, we're, we're talking about a, a bit. We're, you're born broken, Converse, right? Something I don't. I didn't control. Like who controls me being born broken in order to need of a savior, right? Why would this is what I'm talking about? The irrationality. We make a world where Jesus has to come about and all those steps that we go through in the Bible for Jesus to be born, right? Instead of we're just not born in a sinful nature. We could, God could Thanos it. I don't, it doesn't matter. Just don't make people born with a sinful nature. No reason for Jesus. Go ahead. All right, Cliff, I'll let's mute. get, let's get you, um, let's get you in here and then we'll end with Dr. Josh's final comments. Uh, we'll let them wrap up the segment. Give a quick sermon in the morning. Uh, the reason that I believe in Jesus is because he is so rational. He analyzes the human dilemma so accurately. In my work with children, I see that they are precious and can be just so loving and good. It's incredible. And I see that they can be such sinners, such promoters of evil in different ways. I myself was as a child I loved. And as a child, I picked up a metal truck in a sandbox and brought it down on the head of a kid. So we are all this incredible mixture of good and evil. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Secondly, I think that it is very rational to follow Jesus because he taught the golden rule. He taught, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. He taught about ethics in a way that 
Western civilization and now far more in Asia and Africa and South America has accepted in a powerful way. Jesus taught in such a way that the center of Christianity is no longer in Israel or Jerusalem. It's no longer in Western Europe or the United States. It's in Africa, Asia, and South America. Far more followers of Christ in those parts of the world than any other. So this whole idea that Christianity is irrational, this whole idea that is rather embarrassing, that God put uh, guns into the cribs of Adam and Eve, I mean, that is so irrational, so illogical. It's a total denial of the importance of free will. If I don't have free will, I can't love. If I don't have free will, I can't have a meaningful relationship with anybody. Free will is crucial. And God gave Adam and Eve, you and me, free will. And sin is the abuse of the gift of free will. I also believe it's incredibly fascinating that around the world, everybody has a desire to know God. We are hardwired to know God. And be it pantheism or be it polytheism or be it Islam, Judaism, Christianity, we as human beings have this God-shaped vacuum at the center of our being, unquestionably. Anthropology shows that very clearly. We also have a deep longing for life after death. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Thanks for your honesty, Woody. And I really am not impressed with people who have brainwashed themselves to thinking that death is a friend, that death is actually good. No, death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. And if you are excited about the death of your friend, let's be real honest, you don't love your friend. For death will be the end of your relationship with that person. And yet Jesus Christ said, I'm the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he just didn't talk about it. He backed it up with a historical resurrection. So I can promise you, Jesus Christ meets the deepest needs and longings of your heart and my heart like nobody else. And that's why putting your faith in him is such a wise decision. Dr. Josh, let's uh, end with you on this segment, and then we'll go to our Q&A. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in the end, for me, looking back, you know, again, I was, a, I was an evangelical, conservative evangelical Christian for 26 years. Uh, so I pastored a church for seven years. I have a master's in theology from a very conservative school. Um, so, you know, like these issues are very real for me. Um, you know, I taught them, I preached them. Uh, so looking back, I, I feel like sort of being on this side of this debate now, it's a lot clearer to me, um, that you have to put on that lens um, before you before you look. But that's this is the whole point of theology. Is theology is saying I know that this makes sense somehow, um, and so we're how, how do we how do we do that? And uh, so you know if if you're starting from that position, um, I think it's easy to be able to say. Uh, well, I can, you know, I can, I can see how this could possibly make sense. Maybe I don't have a lot of evidence for that, but it, I can see how it works together, and I trust the person that told me. Um, and of course, I think that's, you know, I think that's the uh, that's the approach that I took, and I think it's the approach probably that most take. Um, but I, I will say, um, you know, if we're looking at 
this through a lens of, um, well, we all have to sort of start with this and we all have to look at something and say, well, we can't know everything about a particular topic. Um, I, like, I agree. The thing that I would say about that is that I'm, I often hear that coming the other direction, right? And, and, and it was actually said, I think, at the beginning of this discussion, like, well, where did everything come from, right? How does, you know, something come from nothing? Those are, you know, like the hardest questions of it that I can think of, not that I have an expertise in what the hardest questions are. But, you know, if I don't know, if I don't know what holds all reality together or something, I don't think that that, that necessarily follows that I should believe in a divine being, right? I think it just means that I don't, I don't know that. So the question for me and the reason that I ended up leaving Christianity was because even with that, that lens on, I kept coming to the data and saying, I, I can't make this work primarily historically, right? And, and that, that made me take a step back and take off that lens and say, all right, I'm not going to special plead this. I'm going to look at it like I would look at anything else. And, and what's the conclusion? So I think that's the question that Skyler's talking about. And I'm, I'm done. Uh, but that's the question I think that Skyler's talking about is at what point do we say this stuff seems to stack up? Maybe we shouldn't be special pleading our way out of it. All right. Thanks so much for that, Dr. Josh. Um, we are going to move on to our Q&A. If you are new to the channel, it's your first time, please hit the subscribe button. We have a lot of interesting debates on science, religion, other topics. Um, there's a lot of um, high-level people on here, um, but thanks so much for being here with us. We're going to get to our Super Chats first, and we will get to some other questions as well. Um, at this point, um, beware if you're going to send in a, a Super Chat. We may not have enough time to get to every single one, so we'll see um, how it goes. Uh, one thing I did want to say is like when I first uh, was asked to moderate this discussion, I thought, you know, it's interesting. I've got a, I've got a few of Dr. Josh's books here, obviously. People that know me know that. Um, I, I'm taking a class with Dr. Josh right now as well. Um, but I, I knew, I was like, wait a second. I know Cliff, and I know Stuart, right? But uh, I haven't talked to them that much, but I was thinking, I know Cliff. I've watched his stuff before. I think I might have something, right? I went into my library. And sure enough, I found a book by Cliff Kinnetley. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? So now I can add it to the website Dr. Josh's books as well. So I thought that would be a fun little thing to share. So Cliff also. Um, so let's get to our Super Chats now. Um, thought that would be a light note to move to the Q&A with. So our first Super Chat came from Duke Sahib. Thank you so much for your 499 Super Chat. It says, Stuart and Cliff, in Joshua 10, God makes the sun and moon stop in place for that day. If this really happened, then why didn't anyone else record it? I think you've got to be very careful about the use of language in those situations. I think it's rather clear that uh, the earth does not have four corners. And when the Old Testament talks about the four corners of the earth, that is not a scientific description. I think often that the uh, descriptions that are given are from my perspective, uh, sunrise and sunset. If ABC News 
answers the question, when is sunrise going to be tomorrow morning and when is sunset going to be tomorrow evening? I'm not going to call them up and tell them that they've got an antiquated view of the solar system. Instead, I'm going to understand it's a figure of speech. And I think it's real clear that when uh, I played basketball and football in high school, we talked about killing the opponent, not literally meaning that we were going to murder them. But it was a strong figure of speech to communicate, wow, we really are going after them to beat them. And so, how do you handle Joshua recording that the sun stopped? I don't know exactly. But I don't think the text is claiming to give a scientific description of how the sun stopped literally and the earth stopped rotating on its axis. It, it is not a scientific book. There is no science anywhere in the Bible. Lots of history, lots of didactic teaching, lots of poetry, lots of apocalyptic literature. But there is absolutely no scientific language anywhere in the Bible. So therefore, it should not be this humongous problem for anybody. All right. Thanks so much for that, Cliff. Um, and in the chat, you will see we have a moderator, Amy Newman, that will be having an after-show discussion on her channel. That would be an open discussion. Our next uh, super chat comes from Chad for $5. Thank you so much, Chad says, Cliff, if Jesus died as a once and for all sacrifice for sin, why does Jeremiah 33:18 prophecy uh, prophesy a permanent restoration of the animal sacrificial system? Well, the animal sacrificial system was done away uh, by Christ. He was the Lamb of God who laid down his life to make atonement, to pay the penalty for human sin, and that is clearly articulated by both Jesus and Paul and Peter and John in the New Testament. So Jesus is that sacrificial lamb that the Old Testament pointed to in a very clear way. I mean, you know, people can just get really off on some of these points. I was We were at the University of Texas this past November, and, and, a, and a Jewish student tried to insist that if you really read the Torah and the Old Testament, there is no atonement ever mentioned, ever taught, anywhere in the Old Testament. That's tragic. That is really tragic. That is so blind. That is so biased. It's scary. And so these caricatures of the Old Testament are, are, are very, very sad. I, I think it shows a lack of honest scholarship. It shows a lack of honest struggling with a text that was written 3,000 years ago, seeking to understand what was happening, a classic example of this is in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, some experts in the Old Testament come up to Jesus and basically say, hey, you know, if divorce is wrong, then why did uh, Moses say, hey, you guys going to divorce your wives? Write her a certificate of divorce. I mean, he's allowing for it. And if it's wrong, what's going on here? And Jesus points out very clearly, very accurately, God permitted this due to the hardness of your hearts, but it was not that way from the beginning. So Genesis 1 and 2 communicate the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 is a fall, and the Old Testament is an example of how far things have fallen. And never does God affirm slavery. Yes, he gives instructions about slavery, but never does he endorse it. So you've got to read stuff in context and be careful the way you interpret it. 
All right. Uh, our next super chat comes from Valet Waste Disposal LLC for ten dollars. Says God did give free will. He never wanted them to have choice. Told them not to eat from the tree. The snake was their liberator. If this was real, uh, you guys have a. You guys want to respond to that? Yeah, it was. It was more of a statement than a question. But if you guys want to pass or um, if you have something you want to add. I had a little bit of a tough time following that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was the way he worded it, I think, or the person worded it. God did give free will. He never wanted them to have choice. Told them not to eat from the tree. The snake was lib- their liberator It, if this was real. It's, it's kind of like, I think it's the analogy of like a mob boss giving you a choice. But you like you only have real like mob boss choices. Like what's good for the mob boss? I think that's what it's kind of talking about. It's like he wants to give you free will in Genesis, but then he's like, "Hey, you know, you got free will, but don't do these things. Don't utilize your choices that I gave you, because if you do, brain tumors one day. I mean, that's I mean when it comes to like total destruction uh, of human society. So, do you guys have anything to add to that, or do you want to just pass to a question? Yeah, it's, it's real clear. The idea that a person can have free will and there be no severe consequences to their decisions is irrational. That is irrational. If we have free will, it means we can choose to create and we can choose to destroy. There are going to be consequences to our decisions. All right, thanks so much for that, Cliff. Um... We have a member chat from Mr. Monster says, I don't believe that's rational to worship. There's not really much context there. Um, So uh, we'll move on to his super chat, which was next, says, or their super chat, I should say. Uh, $5 super chat from Mr. Monster says, I have no rational reason to believe in a God that is described in the Bible. Might as well read the poetic Edda as historical truth um you guys care to that's just uh, again it's not a question but if you have any response you want to give before we move on i wish you and i could live the life that jesus lived you haven't done it i haven't done it and to, to try and argue that the god of the bible is some type of scrooge or some type of evil monster is a really sad joke And down deep, anybody who reads the Bible from Genesis to Revelation should know that. Are there difficult passages in the Bible? Absolutely, yes. Are there mysteries and paradoxes? Absolutely, yes. But if you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you walk away saying, that is a really monster God, that is a very sad commentary on your lack of ability to read. I mean, listen, it's morally evil to drown babies. And Yahweh drowned babies. Yeah, tough. It's that simple. That, that's wow. So tough. We're still stuck with that God, though, because it's either the gospels reliable, but you can even throw away the gospels reliable. Did the resurrection occur or not? And if the resurrection occurred, then yeah. Jesus is the Son of God, and you have to deal with it. I don't care if he ate babies. I will I in hell, I guess. Did. 
He's the son of God. That's the historical fact, and you have to deal with it. I'm not, I'm not arguing that I don't have to deal with it if it's you're real. You're against worship. You're, you're hyper-left, and I get it, and that's fine. I'm actually kind of center-right, to be okay, honest Okay, but, but your theology is far, far left. Let's just put it that I'm way. not even a Christian. So, I don't have a theology. So that's what you have to deal with. Like I, I, saw, I see Dr. Josh cringe when I say that, but still, it's a historical claim. Did it happen? Why don't you deal with what like you say? And if it's God, if God did something that you... View as a he drowned. He drowned babies. Having been, he drowned babies. He actually, is God? You still have to deal with that. Is it? Is it moral you to drown to babies, Stu? That's not a question. It has nothing to do with the rationality. It has not. Uh, drowning babies is uh, is it objectively we get the last, moral? Scholars, we get the last word on right, this. Guys, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. That's, that's, correct. that's, that's correct. okay, Stu. Yeah. You don't have to answer. So, so it's a tough this, question. Uh, it is a question for them, so we'll question. let them get the last it's, word. It's, it's a good question to avoid. Your you know, only the question ever. But, but you can't answer it. Made to be upon. Why, well, look how worked up you get about it, though. All right, you guys. Right. talking about it. Give a rational answer. Yeah, yeah. It's if not we, the weekend to get to get to get all riled yeah, up yeah, on. Yeah, it's really it's, it's tough to defend your God. It's really bears. not. No, that is. No, I agree with you on that. But this is not the rationale. You don't have to believe it, though. Whether the historical resurrection occurred or not, I'm sorry. All right, you guys, let's, uh, let's move on to this point sorry, because sorry. Uh, if we do this on every question, <laughs> we're not going to get through. We're going to be we'll here never for end quite here. a while, right? So, um, yeah. So, but the, the next question, I mean, the same person with the next question, uh, $2 Super Chat from Mr. Monster, is, is, says, is it rational to have imaginary friends? Uh, I mean, it's kind of a jab, but do you guys want to maybe – say anything about that type of question sure that's a classic example of incredible emotional bias if you tell me you have a friend and i say well your friend's imaginary without studying the evidence and finding out does your friend really exist or not if i just conclude well it's an imaginary friend you're talking to me about that's an incredible bias it's incredibly narrow-minded and prejudiced no the question is does the evidence point to your friend really existing does the evidence point to your friend really being good and loving and have integrity? That's the issue. So, you know, to try and throw around emotional diatribes about, oh, man, the God of the Bible is just an imaginary God. No, that, that doesn't cut it. That's about as dishonest as me saying, uh, hey, guess what? Allah is an imaginary God because I just think that. And I emotionally emote and say it's an imaginary God. That's incredibly biased and narrow-minded. It's embarrassing. Okay, thank you so much for that, Cliff. Um, we're going to move on to our next super chat. Um, so, but I did want to say to everybody who's um, in the comments, um, I, every time I moderate, and I'm sure they get it all the time, um, we have some people that'll say, "Look, you stop jumping in and, and let them do this." We're, that's why we brought our popcorn, right? Just let them have this little dispute because this is entertaining, right? But then we'll have the other side saying, "Look, jump in more. You're not moderating, man. What are you doing?" So. Uh, look, there's got to be an even where I can let a little <laughs> bit go. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I just want to make that clear because it's uh, I'm getting both sides. But uh, the next super chat, ten dollars from Robert Somers. Thank you so much for that generous super chat. It says crazy how biology and chemistry have models and predictions that help to show that while we don't know some, we have means of figuring it out. What is the analogy for the unknowns in religion? Do you want me to repeat that question? Or? Well, I think it's, once again, it's rather simple. Evolution is a process, but there is absolutely no creative mechanism in evolution. There's adaptation. 
There are changes, but there is no creative mechanism in evolution. And that is why to argue that there is no God because of evolution is not a scientific argument. It's a philosophical argument. All right. Thanks so much for that, Cliff. We'll move on to our next super chat from Elusive Viper. Um, let's make sure. Let's see. Hold on a second, because you guys are getting all the questions. So I want to see uh, if I can switch it up a little bit. And no one wants to talk to Dr. Josh and I this evening. Um, <laughs> for the try to find one for you guys, because yeah, they're all they are all for the other side. It seems, uh, but there's. <laughs> No, I got at least a couple for you guys. Uh, we got one super chat set from Oliver Catwell, 200 KESs, whatever that is. Says less than 25 viewers hitting the like button. Come on, y'all. Um, and then I've got a a member chat from Sunflower. Says Skyler, can you rationally oppose eugenics? <laughs> can I rationally oppose eugenics? Uh, I think we tr I think human beings tried that eugenics thing uh, back during World War II. The Nazis certainly tried. Didn't uh, I? Don't think that turned out very well for people. Uh, you know, it seems like it's going to be harming people uh, in some way. I don't know a lot about eugenics, so I'm not going to speak broadly on the topic. But uh, okay. <laughs> it's it seems like it's it's got some problems to say the least. Okay. Yeah. And if you guys ever want to just pass, just say pass as well. Yeah. Um, we, we'll try and answer as many as possible. But um, so back to Elusive Viper for $10. If there is an aspect of chemistry that you cannot explain and nobody else can either, then it's simply not a reasonable position to hold. Your other reasoning for God has no bearing on this question. Um, you guys, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's still kind of a statement, but, but do you want to respond to that or do you want to just move on? The position I think that we're trying to take is, is really rather simple. Science is a continuing process of understanding the physical world we live in. And it's a very good study. And just because there are questions in science that I don't understand the answer to or I don't know the answer to doesn't mean I stop doing science. Science is progressing. If they teach the same thing in chemistry class 10 years from now that they're teaching today, we have a problem. Science is a continuing study of the processes of this physical world. And we continue to make new discoveries, to revamp our theories. I mean, I have a younger brother who does research on how to help new organs that he transplants not be rejected by the body. And he goes down all these different avenues of genetics, of chemical balances, and he's trying to discover a better way. Now, do they have a fairly good way of helping the body not reject a new organ? Yes, they do. Is it good enough? No, it's not good enough. And so he will continuously do experiments in his labs down at Duke University Hospital in North Carolina to find a better way to help the body not reject a new organ. That's what science is. And that is a good, healthy study. All right. Thanks so much for that, Cliff. Our next question for the other side, I'm trying to split them up here, is we have a 
Super chat from, I'm sorry, we have a member chat from Nugget Man. Having pronouns in your, well, it's a, it's kind of an insult, but I'll just say that he didn't like that Josh has pronouns in his name. We'll just say that for now. No, good. All right. Um, just make sure you guys get a question. Um, Sunflower had a $5 super chat for Skylar. If there are only two possible options, let's say good and evil, how exactly is the ability to choose between those a mob boss ultimatum? Well, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, one, it, it's in, in the same sense of like, uh, they're forced to like, it's like, oh, this is about free will. This is about you wanting a relationship with God and God wanting a relationship with you, right? But the whole thing is a setup. Right, God knows the serpent's going to do what it's going to do. Right, the the boss has set up the scenario to entrap people. Right, and it's like, hey, it, it, when people say, "Hey, I'll give you two choices," but both choices are the choices that I allow you to have. Right, that's not freedom. That's not like free will. And I, I think within the, I mean, the, the key when you talk about free will within the context of Christianity. I always believed, and other Christians that I had talked with always had the idea it was just, you know, it was the ability to freely love God on your own volition, right? Without him coercing you into loving him, right? But the problem that we bring up, Dr. Joshua, throughout this debate is he, does, it, it, he doesn't treat us with that same respect. He doesn't treat his children like we treat our children. He does not protect his children like we protect our children, right? And that's why we have diseases, suffering in the world. And then he does the things that he does to his creation. And like a mob guys, boss. I, I'm, I'm really sorry to do this. Uh, we have newborn twins. Well, I guess they're about nine months now, but they're upstairs screaming. And they're two of our five kids. So Megan is texting and asking me <laughs> okay. if I can come and help. So I'm really sorry. This has been great. Um, and we'll we'll do it again. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor Josh. Thank you, Josh. You guys, take, take care. care. All right. All right. So thanks for that. Um, all right. So we'll get to our next super chat. We have a super chat from. We've got that one. Uh, Heathen Queen for $5, thank you for your super chat, says, has Cliff considered therapy for his unchecked anger issues? Has Okay, so this is kind of an insult as well. Um, the last it's person... Right, no problem. Okay, yeah, so the last person... Um, a little bit, right? Well, sorry, if... So I guess I'll... If I'm going to read this one, then I'll... I'll the last uh, member right. chat for Josh um, said that he thinks it indicates that it's mental illness that uh, you would have pronouns in your... Um, in your name, uh, that's uh, they, they said that they were upset that I didn't say that out loud, but I just <laughs> so anyway, a lot, a lot of no, mental illness out this there. This one's very days. similar. So, um, have you considered therapy for your unchecked anger? And Stuart considered reading a history book, so yeah, I mean, I, I want like people it. paid to do this, right? Like people paid to put a message and gaslight. Like the people on here, and Lord, like we're like, okay, fool, you paid the money, thanks. <laughs> we'll see. I, I think it's a totally legitimate question. The answer is very simple. I have definitely struggled with a problem of anger, 
and I definitely have gone for counseling to help me deal with anger. And that's one of the points of the Church of Jesus Christ, that we love each other, we counsel each other, we encourage each other, we hold each other accountable. We are the body of Christ, and I am far from a, a perfect human being. I am far from Jesus, that's for sure. And that's why I'm in such desperate need of his grace and his help and his forgiveness and his mercy. And that's what he offers to every one of us. And I think it's fascinating when you read the Gospels that you will notice that the people who gave Jesus the roughest time were the self-righteous people who love to stand back and judge God and judge others and act like they were holier than thou. So no, I, I'm a follower of Christ, which means I have to acknowledge that I am a sinner, I am broken, and I am in desperate need of God's grace. There is absolutely no question about it. And that doesn't mean that I just go to a mountaintop pop bird seed and think about God. No, I've got to deal with anger. I've got to deal with lust. I've got to deal with frustration. I've got to deal with depression. I've got to deal with discouragement. I've got to deal with fear of death. I've got to deal with life, with reality. And I have found that Jesus Christ helps me in a way that none of the options do. And that is why I am devoted to him. Uh, thanks so I've much never for read that. History book. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, did you want to say something? No, I know. It was just, it was just, I've never read a history book, and, and I'm reading children's fairy tales right now because i got a lot of young kids. <laughs> and history is for the winners, so do not read history. It's all about scientism these days. But I like, I like the chirps, though. Keep them coming, though. All right. Uh, I wasn't sure what the rules are. I've heard James say before <laughs> he wasn't going to read something because it was an insult. You're doing great. Guys. No, this is good, man. You're doing right. good. Doing well. I like Skyler's defensiveness. I appreciate that, too. So uh, Mr. Monster says for $5, how is it rational to convince people that they were born with sin? Why is it rational to be sent to hell? Well, I don't think you have to be an astute observer of human nature to work in a daycare center and see that we are born with a sinful tendency, a readiness to sin factor. I don't think you have to work with too many children to realize they can be precious and darling and kind and humble and loving, and they can also be little monsters and can start fighting. And unfortunately, when you watch them grow up, if they haven't learned self-control, if they haven't learned to choose love over hate, forgiveness over revenge, then the problems just simply escalate. And that's one of the reasons that we've got divorce going off the charts. And that's one of the reasons we have racism off the charts. And that's one of the reasons we have sexism off the charts. Because we do not respect each other the way God created us to respect each other. And if anybody has a problem with the idea of sin, I would encourage you to work in a daycare center. I would encourage you to work with couples who've been divorced and are trying to reconcile in some way. And you will see the depth of the human dilemma. All right. Thanks. You know, I got to say, can, can I just say like, sure. see my experience in life and I don't know if Stu was just like really, really bad as a little kid growing up, but like with my, you know, my children, I didn't like, I don't see that. Right. I don't see this evil intent. I don't see this like mischievousness like this. I don't, they don't lie to me. They don't like steal. They don't do it. Like I, it seems like that if like by being a positive around them and having positive behaviors, and you know, teaching them certain certain things, but it's it, I don't see a natural evil within children, right? And I don't see it, you know, and I don't see. It, I, I think that when you see people do bad, what we would say, quote unquote, bad things, probably things we would agree on, right? Morally, right? Uh, like it's because of environmental situations, right? I, I think it's like poverty, lack of healthcare, like lack of money, like lack of education racism in this country like you have real reasons 
why we suffer from particular areas here. Um, and I think, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. I just don't you, see you kids. You sound as, like Clarence Darrow, yeah. the American lawyer who insisted a guy in prison and a guy who runs a wonderful business and is a great businessman are the same. It's just a, simply an issue of what environment they grew up in. Now, obviously, I agree that environment affects us profoundly, but that is one of the most simplistic, naive views of human beings available. You well, and I genetics play a part, too, to be fair. Genetics play a big part. You have two yeah. children, both of whom have an alcoholic father. One turns out to be an alcoholic, and one turns out to be totally sober. Yeah. So to, I, the idea that we are slaves of our environment is really false. Environment has a powerful influence on No us. one made that argument, Cliff. No one said you were slaves of your environment. I said that your environment plays a key part of why you are the way that you are. No, in genetics, in your genetics, of course, your genetics with yeah, that. Genetics, physiology, your own decisions. Sure, but you're not born you're broken. We're not just simply the result of our environment. Yeah, but you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you when you're born. You're not born with a sinful nature. This is the imaginary thing that Christians have made up. No, it can't be demonstrated. Oh, secular psychology in, talks in about this too. Daycare center, just go to a daycare center. Eric Erickson, get into some secular psychology. Uh, guys, my background is in education. I have two children. Yeah, I won the child development award. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> Glad you did. But I mean, what were you arguing that children are like evil or something? Absolutely, bro. Uh, we're arguing that you got oh, locks on your doors for a Erickson. reason. I don't. I don't really I, mean, I have a dog. But... All of them talk about a, a dark side, a shadow side that we're born with. I mean, uh, Freud. Look at Freud. Freud. Hey, he goes super ego. That, he's not a Christian. He's a very secular atheistic Jew. I can promise you that much. All right, you guys. Let's move. To, let's move on to the next question. Let's try and get through these last few as uh, quick as possible if we can. We're running up on almost two hours here. So if you guys don't mind, I mean, if you want to make a comment as well, you know, that's fine. So, uh, but we have a question from. Uh, KWNY Upstate, Stuart and Cliff, are we justified in killing people in modern society if God speaks to us and commands it? Followers of Christ disagree. Some of the most conservative fundamentalist followers of Christ are the Amish, and they are total pacifists, and they would never harm a human being or inflict any type of pain on them. Other followers of Christ, myself included, Due to the reality of sin and evil, due to the reality of what Vladimir Putin is doing in Ukraine, are committed to the idea that because people are sinful and live it out in very tragic ways, it is important to use force to prevent the slaughter of innocent people. All right. Thanks so much for that, Cliff. And um, we have a $10 super chat from Mr. Morpheus. If God is above human comprehension, undetectable, unfalsifiable, not interactive, not objective, how can you rationalize the belief? If Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, I'm a fool for believing in him. You can falsify Jesus. Just show that he didn't rise from the dead and the whole thing falls apart. Why? Because he said, while he was alive, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Oh, that was a big mistake, Jesus, because you gave us a way to verify you or to falsify you. And what John writes in the Gospel of John is, I've written these things to you so that you might believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, the record of these miracles, the record of his death and resurrection is so that you might have good reason, not proof, but good evidence, good reason to believe. All right. Thanks so much for that. Um, hopefully we'll get to most of these. We uh, are running short on time, but we did have a super chat just come in uh, for Skylar. So I'm going to jump to that one just because the rest of them are pretty much for the other side. Uh, Sunflower $2 super chat says, Sky, if we're not born broken, are we born perfect? See, this is like when, like you're just born the way that you are. Like you're born into this world. Like that's what I'm saying. Like we, it, it creates a standard. When we say someone's born broken, then there was some kind of perfect standard they could have been created or it could have had, right? Like this is God created uh, the way that you are. You have no control on your nature or who you are. Like it, it, as I believe he told in the Bible, he knew people in the womb. He, he, he designed you in the womb for a purpose, right? So like this idea uh, that, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even know where to get into with it. I, I don't know. I'm just saying it just doesn't seem, uh, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to be very purposeful in this situation. Go ahead. All right. Our next super chat is Dharma Defender, $5. Stuart. There are zero eyewitness accounts for Jesus. First Corinthians 15 says there were 515 eyewitnesses. We don't have a single one lying for Jesus. What? Um, Did you hear the question? Yeah. We, we don't no have a single eyewitnesses. <clears throat> no eyewitnesses. Yeah. So he's saying so outside of the Bible. Is that what he's saying? Well, he's saying there are zero eyewitness accounts for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says there were 515 eyewitnesses, but we don't have a single one of them. I guess he's saying still to check with or something. Oh, oh, sure. So Mark 15, 21, when you have Simon of Cyrene, for example, who this is pre-resurrection, obviously, carrying the cross, Alexander and Rufus would have been two who the community, that was the footnotes during the day, two who the community would have known very well. That's typically how they did footnotes and how you did checking with historical events that actually occurred or not. So no, when, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously that person is, it's, it's 500, it's not 515. It's over 500. And uh, obviously you have the women at the tomb. So Mary Magdalene, Mary, and then Salome, and you have Thomas and the disciples all, all being witnesses of his resurrection. And those 500, you're right, are not mentioned specifically. Many, Paul says, have fallen asleep, which is died. Others you can go check with. And so I would encourage that person. You're right, specifically there, you do not have names. But in other places, you have clearly names that can help us follow in a way where you can go check with eyewitnesses. All right, thanks so much for that. Amy Newman, $5 Super Chat, says, Great debate. I'll be running an open mic after show. Question for Cliff and Stewart. What would it take to convince you that Christianity is irrational? Jesus did not rise from the dead. The evidence shows it. If you can show me that the evidence is Jesus did not rise from the dead, my faith in Christ has been falsified. All right, thanks so much for that. Uh, Robert Summers, 
Uh, $10 Super Chat. Thank you, Robert. Could God have made a world with no suffering, but we would still have free will? If not, if no, why not? It's impossible for God to create a square circle. It's impossible for God to make 2 plus 2 equal 5. It's impossible for God to exist and not to exist at the same time in the same way. So when, we, when the Bible teaches that God is all-powerful, it's not saying that God can do anything, including make a square circle or make 2 plus 2 equal 5. It's saying that God has power, total power, over his creation. So if God gives us a free will, he is limiting his power by giving us a free will, which means we can do what we choose. And no, if God gives us free will and then prevents us from using it, prevents us from choosing, he's contradicting what he created, which was a human being created with a free will. All right. Uh, thanks so much for that. We have... Um... We have just a few more. Um, we're not, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get through all of them tonight. We just have too many. Uh, that's why I did warn everybody earlier if you're sending them in. Um, we have a question for Mr. Morpheus, $10 Super Chat. Please stop saying Jesus said this or that. The authors of the book said it. And in most cases, 40 to 100 years later, stop, just stop. You have no primaries. What do you guys say about that? Primary sources. Please stop telling me that Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address because you weren't there to hear it. That is such historical skepticism and cynicism as to be tragic. Obviously, I never heard Abraham Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. I never heard those words come out of his mouth. But historical knowledge is not based on hearing the words fall from someone's mouth. Historical knowledge is based on the evidence of eyewitness testimony. There were people who heard Abraham Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address, and it's recorded, and we can read it. The same thing is true for Jesus Christ. You are right. I've never heard Jesus say anything. But the eyewitnesses heard him say it, and they wrote what they heard, and their oral tradition was very strong, and the Gospels were written in the first century, which means there were still people alive who could verify or falsify that Jesus really said something. So the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us a very accurate historical record of what Jesus said. Okay, thanks, Cliff. Um, our next one we have, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to end it here because we are just about to go over two hours and we have to respect our speaker's time. Uh, so um, we're going to give these last two super chats that were, I think, pretty um, a pretty good note to leave on. We have... Uh, Kent Hoven CPA says, please have the Kinetley uh, family on again. Thank you for that super chat. And one from Will Stewart. He says, hi, Skylar. Much better tonight. Good job. And so that's uh, okay. Thank you. people from opposing sides saying good job to both sides. So that's great to see. Um, you guys, any last words before we close out? It was fun. Thank you, guys. You guys are always thank, a pleasure to talk thank with. Thank you, Skyler. Thank Have you. Have a good Thomas time with you. Yep. 
Thanks, Converse. Okay, we'll end it there. Thanks, everybody, in the live chat. Thanks for the debaters for coming out. This was an interesting discussion to consider, and I hope you had a, a good time. Remember to sift out the reasonable. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.